worship Him in spirit and in truth. I don't know what you came to do, but I came to praise the Lord. Praise God. Isn't it great to be alive, and especially on a beautiful, cool Sunday morning like this morning? Praise God. Praise God. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter, the second chapter. I'm going to try my best to be what God wants me to be. For some reason, I'm not feeling the best this morning. Somebody started talking about the big cheese. I don't feel like sharp cheddar. I feel like American processed. So, (laughs) But uh, I believe that Jesus Christ has a work for us today. And we trust that uh, that work will be accomplished in our lives before we go out and do His His work. First Peter, the second chapter. Let's start reading with verse one. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as new born babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as into a living stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect precious, that he and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you therefore which believe, he is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation and peculiar people, that he should show forth the praises of him, that ye should show forth the praises of him who have called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pray. God, we just believe that today the Holy Ghost will have its way in our lives. We want you, God, to move. And we pray for the heavy anointing of the Holy Ghost in this service today. Deal with us all, God, as we submit to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, God bless you. You may be seated. The Apostle Peter talks about the stone that the builders rejected. This is the fulfillment of Scripture that's found in Psalm 118. So if you'll turn back there with me to Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verse 22 and verse 23. The stone which the builders refused is become the head stone of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Now, the reason why that we turn back to Psalm 118, this is a portion of prophecy dealing with the Lord Jesus Christ. And the traditional story behind this is making reference to the building of the temple in Jerusalem, that is, uh, Solomon's temple. When the temple was built, 
tradition states, and we think the traditional story is very accurate because of the prophecy that's found in the word of the Lord, that all of the stones were cut for the building, and they were cut according to the plan that God had given to David that Solomon uh, put together or built. While all the stones were stacked in order, and the brick layers or the block layers began to mix the mortar and put them together, as they began to put everything together, they ran across a stone stacked in the midst of all of the other stones that were very symmetrical. They found this one stone that was oddly shaped. Seeing that it didn't fit into the building where they were were uh, working, they put it aside. And they kept setting it aside and setting it aside and putting it aside. And finally someone picked up the stone and cast it away thinking that somebody evidently had mismeasured or had made a mistake. And so they cast the stone aside. Weeds growing up around the stone caused it to be hid from the experts who were building the building. And then all of a sudden, when the building was nearing completion, there was a spot in the building that uh, was not complete. And the experts knew that it would take a stone to fit there. But they had forgotten about the one stone that had been disallowed or cast aside. That's what the scripture is making reference to when it says disallowed. In other words, they would not allow it to be put in. So they cast it aside. It was called a stumbling stone because people kept stumbling over it. And falling because it was always in the path of people. Later it was cast aside, forgotten about, weeds grew up around it, and the building was incomplete because of this one stone. People began to look for it, they could not find it, they had forgotten where they had placed it, or had even forgotten that there was a stone that was oddly shaped. The experts had overlooked it all together. And then all of a sudden, somebody came by, unassociated with the building. Not an expert at all. And found the stone. They stumbled through an area where the paths were not. And they stumbled across it. And when they looked up, they saw all of the men searching the area for the stone. And the gentleman pointed to the attention of all the workers where it was. And in a place hidden to mankind, an obscure place, out of uh, the way of all the people, a place where nobody would would recognize or would even look to recognize there it was and they picked it up put the mortar on it placed it in order and the stone that was disallowed or cast aside became the chief cornerstone of the building now the Bible tells us that that prophecy is fulfilled in Jesus Christ Jesus Christ was that stone that was cast aside. He didn't seem to fit in the rank and file of all the others. He was cast aside. He was placed in obscurity. He was the one that was off the beaten path. He was the one that wasn't recognized. He was the one that the experts overlooked. 
But yet I declare unto you today that He is the one that all of us needs to make our tabernacle or our building complete. For He becomes the chief cornerstone of our life. He holds it all together. Now all of us understand the importance of experts. I'm sure if you had a watch, you wouldn't want to take your watch to a shoemaker to get it fixed. This is a a very important principle. If you have a Volkswagen, you wouldn't want to take it to a Cadillac dealer ship to, to have it worked on because they specialize over at the Cadillac garage in the repairs of Cadillacs. And if you had a Cadillac, you wouldn't want to take it to a Volkswagen dealer. Now, that's not to say that a Cadillac is that much better than a Volkswagen or a Volkswagen is that much better than a Cadillac. My point is that there is a particular place in which you would take a particular product to get it worked on. And that's where the experts are. And all of us just seem to understand the importance of having experts. People are looking for men who know what they are talking about. There is no doubt about it. They're looking for men who know what they're talking about. The problem, however, that we find in the area of religion is also found in the Scripture, and the Bible speaks of the tradition of men. We commonly think the experts in the religious field are the people who have been practicing religion for many, many years, and churches who have been practicing it for centuries. But it is possible that the very ingredient that is needed in the religious structure of a man's life has been cast aside by the experts, and tradition has set in to the point in which tradition outweighs or holds precedent over the philosophies that were believed by Jesus Christ and the doctrines that were taught by the apostles and the Lord Himself. I really thank God that I am a member of a body of Bible believers that can take the Bible and open it on any page and say, this is what I believe and this is what I accept. We don't tear this page out and we don't tear that page out. I talked with a, an elderly lady one time and she told me, she said, well, I just don't really think that God intends for a person to be so narrow-minded that they have to believe everything that's in the book. You know, I really think that is a disgrace to God Himself to say such. I think the greatest compliment that you could give to me or that I could give to you is to look you right straight in the face or you look me right straight in the face and say, I believe what you're saying is true. And the greatest compliment that you can give God is to look at God's Word and say, Lord, I believe what you've written in the book is right. I believe it's real. I believe it's advice that I need to live by. And I believe it's a doctrine that will save me. Praise God. The Apostle Paul addresses this subject in in Colossians. So if you would turn there with me to Colossians, the second chapter, verse 7, he said, Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Don't you like to see people who are thankful for their church and thankful for the doctrine that's been given to them? Praise God. You'll find out one thing. When people begin to get cold in the Lord, the first thing that they begin to feel, they begin to feel that nobody loves them. They begin to get critical toward their brothers and sisters in the Lord. They feel like the church is not really that valuable after all. But I'll tell you, you're looking at a man today that understands the value of fellowship. 
understands the value of the doctrines of the Bible. And folks, I really don't know what I would do without you. And I don't know what I would do without God. I need my Lord and I need the fellowship of God's people on the face of this earth. And I'm very, very thankful for the doctrines that were given to me by men of yesterday. Praise God. Strong men. Men who believe the Bible and believe the truth. I personally want to be thankful for those things all the days of my life. One of the signs of the last days, men shall be unthankful. Praise God. Let's lift our hands and just thank the Lord for the doctrines of the church. Praise God. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Verse 8, he goes on to say, Beware lest any man spoil you. You know Christians can become spoiled. You ever seen a child that was spoiled? How does a child act when he's spoiled? You ever seen a spoiled child? Somebody said a brat. (laughs) How does a brat act? Got to have his way in everything. If he doesn't, he goes around pouting. I've seen little little children that you'd tell them no, and they put their lip way out. Next time you'd see them, they'd be going down the hallway with their lip dragging the floor, so to speak. <laughs> you know, sit in a corner someplace and pout. You know. <clears throat> Spoiling that's spoken of here is speaking more of an addiction than it is just a an emotional feeling. Now, I'm sure that we have people here who in the past have been addicted to certain drugs, alcoholic beverages. Sometimes people even get a, addicted to prescription drugs. But an addiction is something that that you just depend on. There's a craving inside. Uh, It's it's almost like there's a madness inside of you that drives you toward whatever you want or whatever you need or or whatever your flesh is calling for. And that's basically what it's saying here. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Something drives you toward the teachings of men. There's just something inside of you. You'd like to hear what Dr. So-and-so said more than you'd like to hear what God said or what the Bible says. In the last days, the Bible says, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Praise God. You know, I made this statement so many times, but I understand the value of it. Especially this morning. I really understand the value of it. You see the truth is the only thing you can get into. And keep your mind open. And not change. If you're involved in a religious denomination. That's separate and apart from the truth. Or short of the truth. And you keep your mind open. You will change. But when you get in the truth. You can keep your mind open altogether. And you'll stay in the truth. And so as a result, all of us need to understand the value of just keeping our minds open all time to God. For if you were short of the truth, you will go or be led to the truth. And if you are in the truth, you will not change. So we are comfortable with keeping our minds open. I never want to close my mind to the Bible to the doctrines of the Bible because if I do I know that I will come short of the glory of God and the salvation that God has given to me so he says beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the tradition of men 
Now, Paul speaks to the church of Galatia, and he speaks of the value of the traditions of the church. But when he speaks of the traditions of the church, he's talking about it has become traditional for us to teach the truth. But here it's speaking of the traditions, not of the church, but the traditions of men. After the rudiments are the teachings of the world. And not after Christ. And not after Christ. For in him dwelleth the fullness, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him. Praise God. Do you feel complete in the Lord today? Praise God. I say, do you feel complete in the Lord today? There is just something about the peace that God has given to us. And the assurance, you know, every religious denomination talks about the truth. And they feel they're in the truth. And I have seen people go from church to church to church to church, and all of a sudden they come into the real truths of the Bible. And then they say, now I know I have found the truth. But you always thought you were in the truth. But I have no doubt now. But you had no doubt then. Yes, but there is a different assurance that I have now. It's different now. When I went down in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and I had my sins remitted and I came up out of that tank feeling clean inside. Praise God. And all of a sudden from that cool water I felt the heat begin to build up and I felt the power of God come upon me and it came like a rushing wind and all of a sudden the warmness of God's Spirit swept over my soul and I began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gives the entrance. I know it's different now when I thought I was in the truth and I never questioned it. There's a difference now. Why? Because the experience lives inside of me. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. I'll tell you, you know sometimes the devil can back you a long ways. He can just keep backing you up and keep backing you up and keep backing you up. And I have been backed up by the devil. And I'm not going to stand here to tell you that I have never had problems with the devil because I have. And you know one of the things that people do whenever they first come to the Lord, after a few weeks in the church they begin to doubt their experience. That ever happened to any of you? And they say, now I wonder about this. Is this just something I did or whatever? And I tell people, when you doubt your experience, you need to go back to the altar. You need to pray just like you prayed when you first received the Holy Ghost. I've had people to come to me. I mean, they, they, were, they were down. They were out. They, they just felt that, that, you know, they were so depressed. And, and my pastor, Grant, the devil, just been... On my back all week, and I've sent them away. You go home to your closet of prayer, and, and you find a, a place to kneel, and you get a hold of God just like you got a hold of God at that altar. And I've had them to call me up and say, I need to see you. I've had them to drive out to the parsonage after three hours in, in a closet of prayer and say, Brother Grant, I've got the assurance I spoke with tongues again. The power of God came upon me like He's never come upon me before. They just renewed that experience in the Lord. You know, I, I believe uh, uh, tongues, uh, tongues, the Bible says, uh, are a sign to the non-believer. That's in 1 Corinthians 14. That's a, the gift of tongues. But the evidence of the Holy Ghost is a sign to the believer. According to the book of Acts. Isn't that right? It's a sign to the believer. The, the gift of tongues is assigned to the non-believer, but speaking in tongues is initial evidence of the Holy Ghost is assigned to the believer. And if your soul is life's greatest commodity, and it is because it's worth more than all the gold and all the silver and everything in the world, it's worth more than all the creations that God's ever put together. Your soul is so very, very valuable. And God does not want you to determine your salvation just upon a good feeling inside or some abstract something that you can't really lay hands on. But oh, praise God, He's given us a sign whereby we will know that we have been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And sometimes the devil begins to 
take this away from me and take that away from me and take this away from me and take that away from me. Sometimes he backs me all the way back up to the altar. And then I begin to think about my salvation. And I'll tell you one thing. I can grip my teeth and and clench my fists and come out swinging and say, Devil, that's as far back as I'm going to go. Praise God. Because you see, this experience is Bible-related. It, it, it's Bible related. What do you mean Bible related? It's in the Bible and I received it for myself. And you can't take it away from me. Praise God. It's different now. It's different now. Altogether different now. He goes on to say, For we are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power, in whom also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, in putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism. And that's what we were talking about when we were talking about that good, clean feeling. Circumcision really means separation. And when our sins are separated from us, when we're buried in his lovely name, oh, what a feeling. Praise God. I say, oh, what a feeling. Hallelujah. Isn't, isn't it great to have the Holy Ghost? Praise God. I look out across the congregation, and, and really, I don't guess we have anybody here in this congregation who uh, has not had an experience with God that I know of. We have some young ladies visiting from the Milwaukee Church. We have Brother and Sister Daly, who uh, Brother Daly used to be in this church down in Monroe this present time, and filled with the Holy Ghost, he and his wife. So I'm basically speaking to people who who know all about what I'm talking about. But it's it's such a beautiful, 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 beautiful experience. Praise God. Praise God. Now, Brother Grant, what are you really trying to say? You know, regardless of how awkward this apostolic doctrine fits into our modern society, it's it's. It's still the stone that's going to make it complete. You know, I personally believe that the church on the face of the earth has much more power than what a lot of people believe. I really do. In, in fact, I believe the church is the only thing that keeps back the forces of hell from taking over. Madison needs Calvary Gospel Church. Wisconsin needs the United Pentecostal Church. America needs the Apostolic Church. And the world needs the Apostolic Church. And if that's not true, then why in the world would we have missionaries like Michael Edge to come and, and present their burden? Praise God. Jesus had it, Jesus put it like this. He said, you know. In the day of the Lord, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon and for those people who, who reject your testimonies. He said, if you go into a city and people reject you, he said, you should wipe the dust from your hands and from your feet. Now, what, he wasn't just saying, now just clear yourself of those people and forget about them. That's not what he's saying altogether. Just the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. That simply means if God tells you to do something, you go do it. People don't like it. You don't have to apologize. You don't have to repent over the fact that you did what God told you to do. So you witness to somebody that God tells you to witness to, and they don't accept the truth. Don't go off someplace and kneel down and say, Lord, I'm sure sorry I even talked with them. No, you don't have to apologize. Every now and then you're, you're, you're going to be misunderstood by people. I touched on this last week, but you will be misunderstood by people. Anytime you testify with the anointing of God upon you, some people are going to think you're a little bit upset. Some people are going to think that you're loud. Some people are going to think you're argumentative. Isn't that true? It's going to happen that way. That's why they stoned Stephen. Stephen just got a hold of the strings of their heart and he began to pull those strings and conviction came to their heart and rather than, than tolerate the conviction and, or do something about the conviction they decided they'd, they'd kill him and they did 
They stoned him and killed him. But that's exactly what was happening. But when you go and you testify to somebody, you don't have to go back and say, well, look, I'm sure sorry that I, that I offended you. Now, if you've done something <laughs> that, that is non-Christian, then, then you owe them an apology, and you need to repent over that. But Jesus said when you go, he said you just dust the hands from your, dust the, you, you shake the dust from your hands and from your feet, and you leave. Now he said the reason why it will be better for Tyre and Sidon in the day of the Lord than those people. He said because Tyre and Sidon did not have a witness. He said if they had of, they would have repented. But they did not have a witness. And oh how this world needs the apostolic doctrine and the apostolic faith. But please understand, you've got much more power with God than what you realize. And you're much more influential in your world that you live in than what you realize. For it's said of the Antichrist that he cannot even take over until the church is taken out of the world. And the church is the hinder of lawlessness in the world. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And everybody you rub shoulders with and everybody you talk to Jesus Christ about ultimately affects the social structure of our world. While they may not all repent, you are strengthening conviction in their hearts against a lot of things that maybe they would just let down on. Now, I've seen that happen many times. And, you know, sometimes you'll go witness to somebody, and contrary to what you think, they, doesn't, they don't come to your church, but they start to some other church. And you'll say, oh, my, it would just be better off that I never even said anything. But the truth of the matter is, while they may not receive the Lord as far as salvation is concerned, there are convictions that are established in their heart that does hinder the work of Satan. Well, I'm not saying that they're saved. Please understand that. I believe to be saved, a man needs to be born of water and of spirit. And if anything short of that will constitute salvation, I have not been able to find it in the Scripture. But you see, everybody you witness to and everybody you talk to ultimately affects the condition of our world. Praise God. And I stand here to declare that what this world needs more than it needs anything else, it needs that stumbling stone, that rock of offense, that one that was disallowed and rejected the builders, the one that the grass grew up around. It needs some non-experts in religion like you and like me that will point their finger in the grass and say, Here's what you need to make it complete! Here's the stone that you need to make the temple beautiful and make it complete. Praise God, praise God. This Jesus name baptism doctrine, this one God Holy Ghost salvation is what the world needs. But you see the world is saying, oh, but that's, that's, a, that, 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 that's, that's, that's a little different, see. We, we just never really believed it that way. You know, my, my grandfather believed it this way. My grandmother believed it this way. My aunts believed it this way. My uncles believed it this way. All my cousins, my brothers, my sisters, my mom and my dad. Everybody's always done it this way. And I went in and talked to our pastor, you know. And our church is an old, old traditional church. Some people even brag over the fact that... Say, we, we've got to be we've got to be the original because we date all the way back to the apostles. So what does that mean? You know the reason why there's a great conflict now in the Arab world because the sons of Ishmael believe that Abraham is their father, just like the Jews. And that's the big problem over there. 
They say, well, we go all the way back to Abraham just like you Jewish people go back to Abraham. And they may be able to trace their lineage a long ways back even to the apostles. But I'm, I stand here to tell you, Jesus Christ said, if ye be the sons of Abraham, ye'll do the works of Abraham. And if you're children of the first church, you're going to do the works of the first church. Praise God. Oh, I feel good this morning. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands. Praise God. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands now and worship the Lord. Oh, thank you, God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. You know, we, we ask the question, who's a real expert anyway? You know, I've seen people who were uh, great in, as far as playing musical instruments. Uh, they can take and open a hymn book at almost any page, and they just sit down and they begin to play it. You know... When it really comes, however, to, to the tempo of the music and such, sometimes they just can't find their way. They, they just can't, uh, it's, it's all out of the book. They know, they, know, uh, they know music from the standpoint of the book. Uh, I remember back in my high school years, I was very, very close to a girl. Now, I didn't say fond. Of this girl, she went to the to the Pentecostal church, and and uh, her mother and dad went to Pentecostal church, and we went to high school together. So this brought about a real closeness uh, between us. This girl did not know one thing about music, but you're talking about playing the piano, and she had it in her. She could sit down and play anything. I, I just I'm really amazed. And, of course, Sister Grant knew this girl, and even t till today, now this girl's not living for God today, but we have commented so many times what this girl could have really done for God had she dedicated her heart to the Lord. She had so much music in her. And I'm not trying to say that, that the theory of music should not be learned by people, because I believe that it should be. But who would you classify as the real expert? Would you say the person who knew the theory of music but couldn't get their timing or tempo together and such? Or the person who could just sit down and play? They could hear one song and just play it. It flowed out of them. It was a part of them. And, and you see, it's that same way sometimes in, 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 in the church. you you got people who can quote Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture after Scripture. Here comes somebody off the streets. As far as his spiritual condition is concerned, he's bankrupt. He's blind. He's naked. He's undone. He's in poverty. I'm talking about spiritual condition. And all of a sudden, he hears somebody preach, and there's a, a pricking inside of his heart and conviction, and he runs and gives his heart to the Lord. All of a sudden, he lifts his hands after he's repented of his sins, and he begins to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. He's filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He's charged up with the power. He goes back to where he's been going to church and he tells his pastor, I want to tell you about something that's real. I want to tell you about something that's alive. I want to tell you about something that I found at an apostolic altar. And he begins to pour out his heart to his preacher. And his preacher says, wait just a minute, Joe. Don't get too upset about all this, too excited. Now, I've been around for a long time now. Does that sound familiar? I've heard that. I've been told that even. I remember when I was filled with the Holy Ghost, a deacon from one of the churches in town where I worked, I'd been witnessing to him. I was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he came over to me and said, I understand you joined that Holy Roller Church. Called it a Holy Roller Church. I said, well, of course, I, I didn't like that term then. I don't bother me now. <clears throat> but at that time, I didn't like it. I said, well, I don't know, you know, if you... We classify as a holy road church. Why don't they talk in tongues over there? You know? And I said, well, yes they do. And boy, you're talking about 
jumping on my case. Wow, I couldn't believe it. Of course, separate and apart from being a deacon, he was also an alcoholic. He had a girlfriend, and he had a wife and several children. Besides that, he swore all the time. Of course, that's all right, he says, you know. Everybody's a sinner, you know. Without the grace of God, none of us would be saved. Now, that was his line of logic, and I believe without the grace of God, none of us would be saved. But the cross was never designed to be licensed for you to do what you want to do. The cross grants us power to overcome those things. That's what Romans 6 is talking about. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Praise God, praise God. And the cross gives us power over sin. Can you really live free from sin in a world of sin? The experts say you can't do it. The Bible says you better do it. Praise God. Isn't that right? The experts say, but you know, everybody, everybody's a sinner. you got to sin. The Bible says sin's not necessary, and that's the reason why that God judges it. God would be unjust and could not be considered the righteous judge if He imposed His wrath upon you for doing something you couldn't help but do. But sin is a choice that's made deliberately by people. When lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin. Praise God. And you know, you can live free from sin in this present world. Now that's kind of an odd-shaped stone, isn't it? It doesn't seem to fit into the religious structure of most assemblies. But nevertheless, it's still the structure, or it's still the stone that's needed in the structure to make it complete. Praise God. You know, as far as as uh, this business about experts is concerned, I, I'm reminded of what Job said. Uh, not what Job said, but what some of his friends said. You remember Job's three friends that came to him when Job was down and out? See, they wanted Job to just curse the Lord and die. Now, Job, had, had, he just had uh, just multiple problems. I mean, you, you, you know anybody that had as many problems as Job had. He was living under the wrath of God, and he'd done something wrong. Now, you just know that, see. Anybody that's per persecuted by people the way he was and, and, and lose everything the way he did, he must have been, you know, under the wrath of God. Something must have been wrong with his living. But you see, the secret of living free from sin is keeping your life constantly under the scrutiny the surveillance of the of the spirit so that when you do something wrong or you're tempted to do something wrong that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ will cleanse you it's going back to God every day whether you have been a transgressor or not and saying Lord I need you I depend on you, God. You are my strength, God. If any man ever gets to thinking that he can make it because he's so good, he will fall. That's why Paul says, when you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. We are what we are by the grace of God. Job's friends came to him and said, Now, Job, you might as well just curse God and die because you, you know, it, it's very apparent, you know, your life's not right with God. Otherwise, you know, you, you'd just be blessed abundantly. Now, I personally believe that all of us go through trials and troubles and heartaches and temptations. All of us are tested and we're tried. 
Now, I tell people that if you live a whole lifetime and things go bad, all time, just all time, you need to take a look at yourself. In fact, it doesn't hurt to look at yourself even when you just have a momentary type trial. When we take communion, it was said of Paul, by Paul, that we need to examine ourselves. But the truth of the matter, self-examination is something we need to do every day. But here these men were, they tried to discourage him. Now keep in mind, there was no Bible then. The book of Job, in all probability, is the first book written, and Job had not written his book then. So he didn't have a Bible. And the heavens were like brass when he prayed. It was like his prayers just went up bong and fell off. And he prayed and all they fell off. They were shut up tight. Now, <clears throat> you'd think when heaven shut up tight and didn't hear you, and your friends wouldn't listen to you, and your wife forsook you, and all your earthly possessions were lost, you'd think you wouldn't have much alternative but to backslide. Now that is a terrible, terrible predicament to be in. But when Job's friends left, one of them had this to say to the other one. They said, you know, he's sure a different type guy. He said, Job is in league with the stones of the field. Now, in league with the stones of the field simply means that even though Job's prayers went up bong and they fell off and heaven was shut up tight, he had no Bible to read. His friends forsook him along with his wife. When Job just strolled across the meadow, and kicked up the stones. It seems like every stone told him there's a God in heaven. There's a creator. And he picked up the stone. He saw all the different shapes and such. And inside of him there was a real praise in his heart. Though God slay me, yet will I trust him. Hallelujah. Every babbling brook echoed the voice of God to his soul. Every bird that flew over his head told him, There's a power that's mightier than you, Job. Every whisper of the breeze through the trees told him, My Redeemer lives. And Job stood up and said, those skin worms destroy my flesh. Yet in the last days, he said, in my flesh, I shall see God and I shall know Him. You know what his friend said? He's touched in his head. That's an eccentric idea. That's crazy. But who were the true experts? Or who was the true expert? Was it the man that said, curse God and die? Or was it the man that was eccentric? Who's the true expert? Is it the guy who looks at Joe and says, Joe, you've got to be kidding or is it that drunkard off the street that says, I know, Pastor, what I'm talking about. I went to that apostolic church and I spoke with tongues. I did it as the Spirit gave the utterance. 
I spoke in a language I never learned before. Those people gathered around me. I don't know any of their names except maybe the pastor or maybe a deacon. But they lay hands on me and I felt love like I never felt before. And there was something inside of me that was just driving tears right outside of my eyes. When I went down in the baptism of that tank that night, when that preacher baptized me and I came up and I began to talk in tongues, Oh, Pastor, it's real. I know it's real. But don't get too excited about all of that now. You know, I've been around a long time. Let me talk to you about the Apostles' Creed that really is not the Apostles' Creed. If you want to know what the Apostles' Creed is, turn to the book of Acts and read about the Apostles. Praise God. Praise God. When Jesus came upon the scene, the Pharisees were Messianic experts. They had spent all their life studying the prophecies about the Messiah. But despite the fact that they were Messianic experts, when Jesus Christ came, they did not even recognize Him. They even picked up stones to kill him. Why? He being a man, making himself God. And Jesus knew that he could trick them up in a moment's time. And they asked him questions. They said, no man can forgive sins but God. And Jesus said, which is easier for me to say? Thy sins be forgiven, or take up thy bed and walk. And over and over and over and over and over, they put him in a corner, only to have to walk away with their heads down in shame because of the wisdom of this great Messiah. But they turned their back on him. They forsook him. Why? They considered Jesus Christ to be no more than a bum. He stretches himself out on the hillsides in the wee hours of the night and prays. Why, he even said the foxes have their holes and the birds their nests, but the Son of Man, no place to lay his head. Our Messiah will be a king that will be robed in royalty. He will live in the palace. He'll be the king. He'll be the... We don't want this man. But you see, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people that lived in the day of Jesus that were in need of a touch of the Master. Withered hands that presented themselves to the experts Sabbath after Sabbath after Sabbath. And here he stands up and he looks at that man with a withered hand that stood in the back of the building. And he said, Son, stretch forth your hand! And he stretched forth his hand. It was not the expert that found the stone. It was the man that knew what completion was all about. Praise God, praise God, praise God. And I trust and pray as I close this message today that some of you who are laying no claim on some great knowledge of the Scripture or some expertise in the area of religion can stand up and say, God, I accept you just as you are. 
to make my life complete. Praise God, praise God. Would you stand with me? The Pharisees rejected him, yet he called twelve ignorant men, mostly fishermen. In Acts, the second chapter, when the Holy Ghost came upon them, immediately after this was heralded throughout Jerusalem, a man by the gate called Beautiful was healed. Peter and John went up to be questioned. And when they went up to be questioned, this is what they had to say about these people. These are just ignorant fishermen. However, the Bible says that they took note that they had been with Jesus. Ignorant fishermen? How can ignorant fishermen stand before the Sanhedrin, which was the school of minds, and leave them all stricken with their wisdom? The one difference was the stone that was rejected made them complete. Hallelujah. Luke, the 20th chapter. Verse 18. Well, we want to back up to verse 17. And he beheld them and said, What is this then that is written? Making reference to Psalm 118. The stones which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Whosoever shall fall upon that stone shall be Broken. But on whomsoever it shall fall, it shall grind him to powder. You see, God wants us to stumble and fall upon him. Now, whenever I say stumble, I'm not talking about falling into sin or anything like that. But God wants us to understand. We're not really strong. We're weak. And he wants us to fall upon him and be broken. What do you mean be broken? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are they that do mourn. See? What's all that talking about, Brother Grant? We need to fall upon the stone to break us of our pride. To break us of our self-reliance and security that we feel in human abilities. We need to fall upon the stone and be broken to the point that all of our envies and lusts and all of this will be spilled out at Calvary's feet. Praise God. Now, Jesus did go on to say, Now, if you don't fall upon the stone and be broken by falling upon it, you will be broken when the stone falls upon you. So, either way, you will have contact with the stone. The only difference is, To him every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. I'd rather fall today and confess that he's Lord than to wait until the day of judgment when it's too late and then say, You are Lord. For in that day they shall say, Lord, Lord, and shall not enter therein. Praise God. I'm going to call everybody to pray if you would. 
If everybody just turn and kneel in their pews, if you would, and call upon the name of the Lord this morning and submit yourself to God. Remember our service tonight at 7, prayer at 6.30, choir rehearsal at 5.30.